the late British historian Sir Arnold Toynbee once made the observation that of the 21 greatest civilizations in the history of the world, ours is the first and the only that does not teach its citizens why they exist. That's fascinating, isn't it? I thought about that when I read an article not long ago that made the case that even though America is far better off economically than we were 50 years ago, and even though we have a better understanding of mental health problems and more people practicing mental health than ever before, yet today, even in spite of all of those things, yet today, pre-adult suicide attempts are up three to five times since the 1950s and are still increasing. In addition, the average well-being of entering college students has been in decline since the 1970s when they began measuring this. Furthermore, during the college years, mental health problems are also on the rise, according to recent studies, with more and more college students suffering from depression, extreme anxiety, or other related mental health problems. But then it's not just our kids who are suffering. In an article in the Atlantic Magazine uh, a few years ago, cultural historian and social critic Morris Berman commented that, and I'm going to put it up on the screen so that you can read along with me. He said, most Americans have a dull sense that their lives are fundamentally off. Because for the most part, they are. This isn't, a, this isn't a Christian that's writing this, by the way. He says, they hate their lives, but to get through the day, besides taking Prozac and consulting their cell phone every two minutes, they talk themselves into believing that they want to be doing what they're doing. And this is probably the major source of illness in our culture, whether physical or mental. And then he added this fascinating comment, Americans are the most superficial people in the world. And honestly, I have no idea how he can substantiate that claim. I don't know what kind of statistical proof he could offer to support that idea. Although I do wonder if our fascination with the Kardashian family could be offered at least as partial proof of that claim. But this morning, as we, as we sit on the precipice of another new year, I want to take you back this morning to what arguably is my favorite uh, passage of Scripture, my favorite, certainly my favorite psalm, Psalm 1. Because in a relatively small amount of space, Psalm 1 packs a hefty punch regarding the, the issue of superficiality and meaning in life. Or perhaps it would be better to say superficiality and the way to counteract it with substance. And what it has to say is profoundly countercultural. But before we turn to Psalm 1, I'd just like to stop and ask you a question. Would you consider yourself to be superficial? Would you consider yourself to be the kind of person that is just sort of skimming along the surface of life? Or would you consider yourself to be substantive? Superficial? Or substantive. Now, even as I ask that question, I recognize that there are two kinds of people in the room. There are some of you that I need to say to you, as you evaluate that about yourself, don't be too hard on yourself. Because some of you, as soon as I say that, you jump to the worst possible conclusion about yourself. Don't be too hard on yourself. Just be honest with yourself. Superficial? Or substantive. If you find yourself to be superficial, if you would say, yes, I'm superficial, there's room for growth. Always remember that. We're going to talk about how to counteract that today. Now, there are others of you in the room today that when I ask you the question, 
you jump immediately to the best possible conclusion about yourself. And you say, of course I'm substantive. And I would say to you, just be honest with yourself. Accurately appraise yourself. Maybe ask a few people who know you. Maybe that would be a better way to appraise yourself. And then I would ask you, what is your basis for saying that you're substantive? How do you measure that? Because Psalm 1 is going to talk to us about how to measure that. So if you have your Bible with you, turn with me in it to Psalm 1. If you have a digital copy of the Bible, find it however you find it in a digital copy of the Bible. But turn to Psalm 1. And while you're turning there, I want to welcome and thank the people who are listening to our podcast. It seems like I hear from more and more people who live outside of Evansville uh, who listen to our podcast. And if you're one of those people, wherever you are right now as you're listening to these words, know that we are over the moon happy at the idea that our ministry might be an encouragement to you in some way wherever you live. So Psalm 1, and here's what I want to do. Let's read this. uh, Let's read it as a whole because it's really a pretty short psalm, and I think it's easier to see the main idea of the psalm if we read it as a whole. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields his fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgments, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, I have to tell you that it's a little hard for me to read that uh, to you, uh, straight because when I was uh, when 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 my kids were much younger, we memorized this psalm as a family, and the way we did it was we made it you know we put it to some silly you know cadences and we did it in silly ways and I just I'm just gonna I'm just gonna tell you I'm just gonna show you how far that was from the way I just read it, so we would maybe say it like this actually we did and I'll just read a little portion of it in the way that we did it this is called the this is called the Kincaid version of the Bible. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. That's how we did it. So anyway, (laughs) we did that all the way through it. So we memorized it. I don't know if my kids could still tell you Psalm 1 or not. I would like to think so, but I may be dreaming. I think when we read it as a whole, it's probably clear enough that you don't need my help to see that there are two starkly contrasting images at the center of this psalm representing two very different approaches to life. The contrast is between a deeply rooted tree planted by life-giving streams of water, so that's one, and then on the other hand, chaff that the wind blows away. Now let's make sure that we understand what chaff is, and I think the, the purpose behind this contrast will become very clear. Chaff is a, well, it's an agricultural word. When you harvested your grain back then, you would throw the grain uh, up into the wind. And the grain consisted of two parts. The part that mattered, which was the kernel. That's the part that kept you alive, that fed you and your family, that you could cook with. It was the internal kernel, okay? That was part of it. That part would fall to the ground. But the other part that was the husk around the kernel, well, it was useless. And it was so light that the wind would blow it away. So you throw it up in the air, the kernel falls down, and the chaff just blows away. It's light. It's useless. Okay? 
So when Psalm 1 talks about a life of chaff, it's talking about a life which totally consists of externals, show, facade, a life without an anchor, without any enduring reality behind the facade. It means to be constantly blown about by the winds of public opinion and trend. To be constantly blown about by your own impulses and feelings of the moment. There's no substance to it. It's no stretch at all to say that the word superficial is a good summary word to describe all that Psalm 1 implies when it talks about chaff. And when you read this psalm and you think about the imagery here and what it means, which would you rather be? Would you rather be a strong deeply rooted tree planted by streams of life-giving, nourishing water? Or would you rather be chaff that is superficial and and insubstantial, so light that the winds of life blow it in every direction? Which is your preference? And my guess is that most of you answered that you'd rather be the tree, of course. Who wouldn't want to be the tree? Who, would, who doesn't want to be, a strong, uh, to be strong and enduring and rooted? Who doesn't want to be that? You know, so when a relationship goes south, and when someone that you love passes away, when you lose a job, when someone criticizes you in a scathing manner, it hurts, you might bend, but it doesn't blow you away. You're deeply rooted. And so you can weather the storm, and your leaf doesn't wither. Roots protect you, they nourish you, they give you a sense of substance, endurance, and stability. But before we move on, let's just acknowledge that there's a downside to rootedness, too. And the downside is this rootedness restricts your freedom. A tree that is is rooted is pretty much limited to one spot. When you're rooted, you can't just do anything. You can't go anywhere on a a whim. Roots do confine you. They cramp your style. Rootedness implies egad, one of the worst words in our culture, commitment, or even worse, obligations. Rootedness means that you sometimes have to say no to things that you want to say yes to. Sometimes it means saying yes to things you want to say no to. So now let me ask you the question again. Are you still sure that you want to be rooted? Are you? Or would you rather be chaff? Which would you rather be? Let's let's not be abstract about this. Let's put it out there on the table. Men. You say to your wife, or maybe to the woman that you're dating, you say, our wedding anniversary is coming up, or maybe you say that the anniversary of the date we met is coming up, and you say to her, I've made reservations at a very special restaurant to celebrate, so make sure that you clear your schedule. But then let's say that this afternoon, it turns out that the Colts make the playoffs. And a friend of yours calls to tell you that he has playoff tickets with unbelievable seats And it's on the same time that you've made reservations to go to dinner with your wife or your girlfriend. Now, you could say, if you're a rooted person, you could say, 
Nothing is more important than celebrating the best day of my life with the most important person in my life. Now, that's, that's one option. That's what a rooted person would say. <clears throat> Another option is that you could take the tickets and send your friend to dinner with your wife or your girlfriend. I'm not recommending that. Uh, nonetheless, which would you choose? One is rooted, one is not. Which would you choose? Rootedness restricts your freedom. It means sometimes you have to say yes to things that you don't want to say yes to and no things that you really want to be able to do. Which would you rather be? Ladies, a friend of yours sticks her neck out on the line for you, gets you a job at her company. You've been looking for a job for a while. You're thrilled. You get the job. You accept the job. You start working there. But a week later, a person from another job that you applied for calls offers you more money, a lot more money, to come to work for them. What do you do? Do you stay loyal to your friend who stuck her neck out for you? Or do you bolt for the money? Which would you do? One is rooted, one is not. Which would you choose? And you see, here's my point. In, in the abstract, rootedness sounds fantastic, but when it limits our options and our freedom to respond however we want to respond in a moment, it does not sound so great, does it? We rather prefer the superficiality that gives me the freedom to move and roam where the wind blows. But I want you to listen to this. Author and theologian Richard Foster argues that superficiality is the curse of our age. And he says, the desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. Uh, I want to read that to you again. He He says that superficiality is the curse of our age, that the desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people. The desperate need of our age is not for a greater number of gifted people. But the desperate need of our age is for deep people. Now, why would he say something like that? Why is the desperate need today for deep people more than merely intelligent or gifted people? Why is superficiality the curse of our age? Well, look at the text. First, superficiality creates intellectual instability. And I want you to look at verse 1. Blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. This phrase, counsel of the wicked, speaks to philosophical ideas or human wisdom about reality. Don't get thrown off by the word wicked here. I think when you hear the word wicked, at least I think of people like Satanists or pedophiles or murderers or something equally terrible. But the word that's translated wicked actually is a word that means fitful, sleepless, restless. The point is that the counsel of the wicked is advice or ideas about reality, philosophical systems that leave God out of the equation. And the point is that such ideas or philosophies are just a revolving door of ideas. It's fitful, it's restless, it is always changing. Like chaff, it's always blown around by whatever is new and trendy. Which is not to say, by the way, that philosophy is bad uh, or an unworthy course of study, not at all. 
It's just that without God as part of the philosophy, it's rootless. It's like chaff. Let me give you an example of this. 80 years ago, 90 years ago, Sigmund Freud and psychoanalysis was considered the wave of the future. If you had trouble with it and if you didn't believe in it, you were considered to be primitive and unenlightened. Fast forward to today. And Freud is mocked and vilified and made fun of. Everything that you read right now, everything that you read now, right now, just like that, is a prediction of what, you know, anything that you read that's a prediction of what Americans will think or believe or what the future will hold will be in the dustbin 80 years from now, if not five years from now. Why? Because the counsel of the ungodly is restless. It's fitful, it's, it's rootless. And if you constantly believe it, and if you constantly follow it, it will turn you into chaff. And as you can see here, the logical progression of the text here is that the counsel of the wicked leads to notice standing in the way of sinners, which speaks to behaviors that arise out of the ideas of the wicked, And then sitting in the seat of mockers, which speaks to a settled cynicism that is the ultimate outcome of human wisdom about life and its meaning. Is our culture cynical, do you think? you think Psalm 1 is speaking about our culture? It couldn't be. It was written so many thousands of years ago. It couldn't possibly be speaking to people in 2018 in the 21st century, could it? And yet it seems to nail us. Because if there's anything that you would use, if there's any one word you would use to describe our culture today, it would be cynical, certainly. When the idea of... When when the idea is that, well, we follow whatever the culture says, whatever the new philosophy or new idea is, when that's your idea, when that's the way that you choose to live, it leads you always to superficiality and chaff. It is leads to intellectual instability in a culture. But it does more. Superficiality also creates societal and personal chaos. Societal and personal chaos. When the idea of rootedness in absolute truth is rejected and moral relativism abounds, here's the question, and I hope you'll listen to this, Who can you trust? See, that's the question. Who can you trust? When absolute truth is rejected and moral relativism is is, is embraced, who can you trust? On the one hand, uh, when we consider how rootedness affects our individual freedom, we might actually think that we prefer the moral relativism that allows me to be more of a tumbleweed than an oak tree, but then there's that problem of trust. Like, how many of you feel that we live in a trustworthy society in which you can trust people who make promises to you? How many of you feel that? Like, like for instance, do you trust your politicians? Do you trust advertisers? When you see an advertiser that says, satisfaction guaranteed or your money back, do you instantly say to yourself, now that is an honest advertisement? Is that what you say? 
Do you even trust your eyes anymore? Are you sure that the pictures that you see on the covers of magazines or on Instagram of these perfect women, are you sure that they haven't been photoshopped to the point that you wouldn't even recognize the original anymore? Who can you trust? And how many of you feel strongly that Miley Cyrus and Liam Hemsworth, who just got married a few days ago, how many of you believe that the commitments that they made to one another are going to lead to a long and stable marriage? Who do you trust? Understand this is what the Bible is describing as chaff. It's, being, it's people being tumbleweeds instead of oak trees, superficial instead of rooted, relativists, not absolutists, living in a culture in which everything is negotiable and able to be compromised. And that creates a hollowness in us, an insincerity in which you can't trust anyone Because everyone is hiding behind a facade, doing what's best for them in the moment. Let me go back to what Richard Foster said. Superficiality is the curse of our age. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. Now the question is, how do we trade the superficiality that is destroying us and our culture for a life of substance and deep-rootedness? Because if you were to make any kind of resolution about next year, perhaps the best one would simply be to resolve that you are going to become more rooted, less chaffy. Notice the difference in this text between the tree and the chaff. The chaff, what's it connected to? It's, It's connected to nothing. The tree, on the other hand, is connected to something besides itself. Notice what the text says. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water. Now pay close attention to that. See, the tree has roots that go out beyond itself. That's the reason why the chaff is representative of a life in which the only thing that guides you is what's inside you. Your impulses, your feelings. Therefore, there's no no you. There's, There's nothing in there but what you want, what you think is best, nothing outside of you that can discipline you. The theological word that the New Testament uses for chaff is flesh, just you, your instincts, your impulses, your feelings. On the other hand, though, the tree goes outside of itself for life. It puts roots into the streams of water which flow by it. And if you look at the structure of this psalm, the streams of water are exactly parallel to the phrase, the law of the Lord. Notice what it says. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. The law of the Lord here refers to the Mosaic law in the Old Testament, which was a revelation of God's holy character his insistence on moral absolutes and his promise that he would do for humanity what humanity could never do for itself by sending us a Savior. This is, here's the word for all of that, truth. And what this passage is saying is is this. If you want to be a person of substance, this is how you know if you're a person of substance or if you're a superficial person. If you want to be a person of substance, you must root yourself to truth 
God alone has substance, weightiness. This is what the Bible is referring to when it refers to his glory. God is the only being in this world that is weighty, substantive. Everything else is fleeting. Some of you today are struggling, even this morning, with feelings of being inconsequential. You wonder if you matter to anyone. And you need to know that that's that's not unusual. As much as I'm for counselors and for counseling, and I think it's a great thing, you don't need to see a counselor for that if you feel inconsequential this morning, like you don't matter. You don't need to see a counselor for that. There may be other things that you do need to see a counselor for, but not for that one. What you need to understand is that human beings only experience a feeling of substantiveness, of weightiness. You only feel that by association. And think about it. Here's what I mean. Why do men, middle-aged men, why do middle-aged men leave their wives and families and marry a younger trophy wife? Because they feel weightless and unsubstantial. No matter how much success or money that they have, they're trying to gain substance by association. See that? If I can be associated with this younger, beautiful trophy wife, I must be something. I matter. That's what they're trying to do. Why is it that the name Mercedes or Prada or Chanel, why are those brands that people aspire to be associated with? It's because they give a sense of substance by association. And so here it is. Here's the answer. If you want to be a person of substance, you must, res- you must root yourself to truth because we only experience substance by association, you see. That's the tree with its roots associated with, planted by streams of life-giving water. We only experience substance by association. But since everything other than God in this world is fleeting, what we have to do, you see, if we associate ourselves with other things other than God, we keep having to find something new and weightier to keep us from floating away into space. I want to close on this. Notice that the text doesn't say that the godly are like a large pine tree and the wicked are like a little dogwood tree. It doesn't say that, does it? Not at all. It says one is a tree and the other is chaff, dead. And the difference is one of nature. One is alive and the other is not. What makes the tree alive? It's the stream. As the tree puts its roots into the water, the water turns the tree into a living organism. And what makes this imagery so fascinating is that in the book of John in the New Testament, John comes along and he has the audacity to describe, he says that Jesus has the audacity to describe himself as living water. And he actually says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. That's what Jesus said. Jesus is claiming to be the life-giving streams of Psalm 1. He's the one that the law of the Lord was always pointing to. 
as the one who would fulfill the law and do for man what man could never do for himself. His glory, his weightiness, his substantiveness becomes yours at the moment that you sink your roots into his living water. The Bible calls this being born again. And if you've never been born again, you need to be born again. You need Jesus Christ. A life of substance begins when you're defined by the only one who has ever mattered, Jesus. And this is why the text ends by saying, not so the wicked. Remember, wicked, it means fitful, restless, sleepless. Not so the wicked, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked, the fitful, the restless, the sleepless, those who are blown away, excuse me, blown around by public opinion and ideas about what's right and what's wrong and what the meaning of life is and isn't. The wicked, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. You see what he's doing here, right? He's saying the final judgment. He's saying it's he says it'll be like a it'll be like a harvest. It'll be like throwing grain up into the air. And the chaff, those people who are insubstantial, who aren't connected to truth, who don't have their stream, their their roots into streams of living water, they're rootless. They won't stand in the final judgment. The Lord watches over the way of the, of, of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. It's because there's no enduring substance to them. They're just hollowed out husks. And so if you've never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the way to become, that's the beginning of becoming substantive. And if you've never made that decision, if you've never come to a place We've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've heard of him. You think he's a good guy, something, I don't know. But you've never actually said, I believe in him. I want to sink my roots into him. You can do that today in the privacy of your seat. And that would be the best thing that you could do for, 2000, for your 2019. Here in this moment. To acknowledge that throughout the course of your life, you've been unrooted. That you've been a sinner. And that... You need what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you. You need the fact that he died for your sins. Because there was no other way for your sins to be dealt with. And you can believe in him right now in this privacy of your seat. You don't have to walk an aisle. You can believe in him right now. There are others of you here who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to see that, the, that only to the degree that you give God glory with your life do you have substance yourself. Do you see, to the degree that you sink your roots deep into truth and obey God, you are real. And to the degree that you don't, you are superficial and weightless and fleeting yourself. The paradox of the gospel is that the more that you say to God, your will matters more than my will. I want to live for your glory, not mine. The paradox of the gospel is that you begin to matter to the only one who matters then. The more you put Jesus first in your romantic life, 
in your business life, in your career, in your marriage, the more you matter. And the less you do, the less that you matter. It's fascinating to me that this passage starts with the word blessed, it ends with the word cursed, and in the middle of it stands this tree. Because the message of the Bible is that God promised to bless the world by sending his son Jesus Christ to become a curse and to die on a tree so that we could become like trees, not chaff. Superficiality is the curse of our age. If you've never believed in the Lord Jesus, the text says that you're like chaff that the wind blows away. You need to believe in Jesus, the subject and the object of life. And you can do that today. If you have believed in the Lord Jesus, if you have already done that, perhaps today would be a good day to take stock of your life. What are you doing to sink your true, your roots deeper into living water? And I just want to tell you that this winter and this spring, we're going to offer a number of classes here that you can take that will help you grow in your faith and your understanding of truth. And I would just say that for your sake, for the sake of substantiveness, I hope that you will consider making time in your schedule to take one or more of these classes that we're going to be offering in the winter and the spring and make the pursuit of truth the most important pursuit of your life in 2019. Which are you? Don't be too hard on yourself. But also don't be too easy on yourself. Be honest about appraising your life. Superficial or substantive, which are you? Bow your heads with me and let's pray. We want to be the people, the kind of people who sink our roots deep into you. But Lord Jesus... um, Here's just a confession. There are so many things that we hear and that we see every single day, from advertising to articles that we read to stories in the news, that make us wonder if you are real. That make, us, that make it feel like everything out there is so much more real than what we read about in, in the Scriptures. I mean, just by sheer frequency of the and and, and repetition of the message we we hear about these other things that seem so much more real. And so, Lord, by way of confession, we just acknowledge that sometimes we're guilty of listening to that too much. And, Lord, by way of confession, frankly, it's just there's so many things that press for our time and our attention from our work lives to our social lives to the sports and things that our kids are in and, I don't know, the other activities that our kids are involved in. Places that we want to travel, the things that we want to do. There's so many things that press us and making time to pursue truth just seems, well, gosh, that just gets put onto the back burner of our lives. Lord, I pray that in 2019... That that would change for us as a church, that we would become a people who desire and long to be substantive and to sink our roots deep into you and who you are. And that we would pursue truth as the most important pursuit of our lives. And then for those that are here this morning that have never believed in you, Lord Jesus, I pray that today in this very moment, that they would accept, believe in what you did for them on the cross 
that you died for their sins so that they could become rooted in you. It's in your name, Lord Jesus Christ, that we pray these things. 